Hello and welcome to this IBR Business Profile, a podcast from the Iowa Business Report. I'm Jeff Stein. For the Business Profile segment in the 26th edition of our program, which aired during the fourth weekend of June 2020, we talked with Stephen Dust. Mr. Dust is the CEO and principal of Waterfront Corporate Services. Steve Dust has been involved in business and economic development for some 40 years, first in his home state of Missouri and for the past quarter century in Iowa. He explains what his new venture can offer businesses. Waterfront Corporate Services is an advisory and an interim services firm, and we primarily serve closely held businesses, regardless of size, but those that are, are usually privately held in one way or another usually in manufacturing service or technologies. There are larger nonprofits or foundations uh, that have an enterprise role somewhere in the organization. It could be local and regional governments of any size, but they're going to be Midwest-based. And the bundle of services that uh, we offer include anything that has to do with strategic growth and change initiatives, as well as real estate strategies for commercial and industrial operations. I really enjoy providing business unit acquisition strategies and integration. You know, one of the things that businesses really miss sometimes is the difficult piece of integrating an acquisition into the existing, not only operation, but also culture. And and that's something that we offer. We work with cities and regions on economic growth strategies, particularly as it relates to redeveloping a property or an area, and also placemaking, which is a relatively new word in economic development, but it means that you're looking at growing value-added businesses holistically and attracting talent holistically rather than a, a project at a time. And then we'll implement all of those things either as an advisor or in an interim role, if they need somebody to be on site for a period of time to accomplish any of this, uh, we're available for that, but also in a pure advisory role. That's one of the things I think is rather unique about what you're offering, because there are many companies, many good companies, who can come up with reports and strategies and recommendations, but in essence, they present them and then their work is done. And what you're doing is offering to actually do the heavy lifting, stand behind the recommendations, put them into place until someone can take over and then administer the company going forward. So it's far more than just, let's be a consultant and then our hands are clean. You're offering to get dirty and get this thing really going. That's right. And that's the reason I use the word advisory even more than consultant Mm -hmm. is because it's not just helping a business or an organization develop a a usable strategy, but it's one that can be implemented and I am willing to prove it by being there and extending my stay to help them implement into their organization and then identify the right exit point and let them go. So you're right. I believe that uh, our strategies are sound and the best way I can prove that is to help them implement. Now, during the time that you have been involved in economic development, I would dare say certainly the last 30 years, we've had a bit of a mindset differential, and you alluded to it about the image of place, the image of regional development, 
as yes. opposed to cities within a small area, in essence, creating a circular firing squad. And so the right. whole area just becomes depressed. Right. Talk about as we now are in 2020, as we have global economies in virtually everything, and you've traveled globally in support of the entities you've represented, but now we have post-COVID-19. Why is it even more important than ever for the concept of purposeful regional development to really be emphasized, regardless of the size of the area, be it metro or, or rural? And it, and it really runs the gamut. Uh, it goes through the entire range. First of all, we, you said the right words. It's, it's a global economy. We have to understand that no matter what size our city is, what size our region is, it has to fit somehow into the global marketplace where the businesses inside of our region are going to grow as a result of their ability to source globally and to sell globally for the most part. Different different uh, scales, but still that's going to be important to them over the long haul, which means we look at the world a little differently. That's the reason I talk about the Midwest. We are all proud Iowans. We're all proud Missourians, Nebraskans, whatever the case may be. And we all have our specific differences like any city does. But the fact of the matter is globally, we're looked at as the United States heartland. In my mind, Chicago should be seen as our capital. That is our global city entry point. So if you look at it from that perspective, now we start working on what does our local community, a region, have to look like in order to win in that competitive environment? Well, we have to, A, be the kind of place where talented people want to live and build a career. Further, it has to be the kind of place where talented students want to stay. And that means we have to have a value added or a career path for them when they finish the first part of their education, their lifelong learning. That starts to tell us, okay, what's placemaking? Placemaking is comprehensively looking at the region and beginning to develop the attributes that are necessary for that talent to want to come and stay for businesses that are value added and not commodity oriented to want to invest in that location. Of course, there can be growth strategies associated with that, but it's really about solidifying the physical attributes and the culture of the place to respond to that new global economy. And instead of thinking that if Chicago is the center of this region, we can't compete with Chicago and just throwing up our hands, to some degree, you want to be in the halo. You want to be in the tangential circle, and you just have to figure what your place is in that solar system. That's not a bad thing. That actually gives you some tremendous opportunities, does it not? It absolutely does. Whether you're looking at things from a regional point of view and what role each city has within that region, or you're looking at it in the extra regional, the super regional concept of multi-state region of the country, each of us have the attributes to make the region stronger and to stand above others in it for the uh, competition for investment. Competition for investment doesn't go away. That will always be with us in some form. But being as specific as possible and understanding that it's not a zero-sum game in development is crucial. What do people who are not involved every day in this as you are, what do people not understand? And the question is premised on this. 
when a new business is brought to a region, yes. often government is involved, often yes. an economic development corporation is involved, and there are incentives to yes. invite that new corporate neighbor in. And a lot of citizens don't understand why we're paying rich people to come here. Right. What are we yeah. missing? Yeah, I'm not sure you're missing anything, but it, it, it's just the reality. There has been competition for economic growth since the beginning of the country and before. This is not anything new. The tools we use continue to evolve. It was in the 50s and 60s when we really began to see public sector incentives become a part of the development game. By the time the 70s rolled around, we were using public finance. The federal government was beginning to get more and more involved in development finance and incentives and giving cities funds to build industrial parks and more infrastructure and things of that nature in a variety of ways, as well as getting involved in housing and whatnot on the quality of life side. So this is nothing new. It's a conversation every city, every region must have. Now, what gets particularly touchy, Jeff, is when there are neighboring cities and one gets, or counties, whatever the case may be, and one gets the investment and the other one does not within the same economic region. There is a disparity there. And frankly, one of the failures of economic development incentives and the way that we build public-private partnerships, one of the failures that we've had is the inability to get to the table and talk about how the benefits of that investment are distributed. And so that's one of the reasons that people really look cross-eyed at economic incentives is because they feel like wherever it located, they have the full burden, yet the benefits are not theirs fully. They're shared with others. That's one of the things. But that will, that will not go away. If they did away with every incentive program there is today, tomorrow, there'd be a group of people around a table trying to figure out how to create one that obeyed the law, but got the job done. It's simply a fact of competitive life. There are very, very, very few places in the country that can attract a business just because it's there. There are some places that can. You've seen some of the most high profile businesses look for a site for a significant investment. The one that's going on right now is Tesla. They're looking for a Midwest location and you're hearing stories daily. I think it was Joplin, Missouri is looking at a phenomenal site and close to a billion dollars in incentives, along with Kansas City and, and I'm sure others that I haven't heard about yet. So it's just part of the game. There's a benefit to bringing in a new employer. I understand that it's part of the game, that, that you know, if you don't play in these ways with incentives, then you're just going to lose out. And it's been explained to me with regard to various TIF districts, tax increment financing. If you don't give an incentive to a developer, sure, they may have a property tax rebate for X number of years, but they then will be back on the property tax rolls. They might be hiring people. So right. essentially, you're leveraging those unique incentives from an economic development corporation or a government level, leveraging that to elevating employment throughout the region, and that just has exponential effects, does it not? That's absolutely true. And in many places, not true in all, but in many places, um, what you say is fundamentally true. In other places, they are redeveloping property 
where the property's value is probably below zero because of the antiquated infrastructure and the cleanup that's required, there's actually a cost to using the ground or the building. And so there has to be a mechanism to make that place competitive. And that's where something like TIF comes into play and is very important. And in in Iowa, that is one of the most important development incentives that a community has, but it has to be done under a policy. We have to have our local legislators look at how they want to use TIF and have a public conversation about that and the kind of jobs that they want to have attached to it and, and all of that sort of thing. Because the last thing you want a community or a region to do is to use their resources to recruit an industry or a business that does not elevate, at least equal, but but hopefully elevates the quality of the jobs available to then continue to add quality to the entire community. Sometimes we get a little um, anxious uh, or kind of tilt towards the project that will increase taxes the most, whereas what we're really looking for is the operation that's going to elevate the economy the most and add value in jobs, in quality of life, as well as uh, help relieve the uh, individual taxpayer's burden. And that's such an important distinction. You have to look at a much broader category than simply just the one number. One of the experiences you had a couple of decades ago was to bring together disparate communities. Each had its own way of doing things, from economic development, from chambers of commerce, etc. And I'm speaking of the Cedar Valley of Iowa. And you had to bring these folks together and, in essence, create and sell them on the vision that growing apart was not going to lead to growth. The only way to actually grow was to grow together. How difficult is it? And I'm not necessarily referring to that one example, but but again, communities have rivalries. How difficult is it to get people together and get them all on on the same vision page? Well, I, I think that uh, that's a terrific question from a from a mechanic's point of view, and that's how I saw my role as a mechanic, because community leaders had gotten together much before a year before I arrived to have that conversation and to come to the conclusion that things were better together than apart when it came to economic and community development. And one of the standard things that I say, frankly, in that conversation is, look, I want everybody's football team to win every Friday night. I want everybody's offering plate to be full every Sunday morning. I want all of those local identities to be strong and to thrive. But what we have to do is understand that the economy doesn't obey city limits. The economy obeys where investment is treated well and is invited. And we have to be that place. And in order for us to be that place, we have to gather all of the attributes we have a railroad running through the south half of the county is claimed by the north half of the county as well as adjacent counties as well. The university sitting at one spot is claimed by everybody. So let's get all of our attributes together and market this in the strongest economic base story that we can possibly put together. That's the kind of approach that you have to have to get people to the table. And again, dispense with the zero-sum game conversation it's the bigger pie. We're all creating the bigger solution or outcome for the entire region. 
and help people understand that it does no good to recruit a business from one town or one county to an adjacent town or an adjacent county. Once you overcome that obstacle and you have both community leaders and the professionals pulling in the same direction, whether by persuasion or otherwise, then you can make headway. And I I think that most regions who have been able to do it have thrived. Let me ask you finally, these are not easy deals to put together, bringing a community together, bringing someone in from out of town. In your current work now, going into a company and trying to, if this company acquires this one, how do you merge cultures? How do you get everyone to work together going forward? This is not easy work. So where's the gratification for Steve Dust? How, How do you measure this is all worthwhile, all of this pushing a rock up a hill at times? Yeah, you know, you know what, over my career, what the common thread that you can see running all the way through it is that dust attacks projects that are big, that others are scared of in some ways, or see as too risky, but they all are such that if successful, however we choose to define that early and then move towards, will improve the place where we are. And that's where I see success is, is the organization better and stronger? Did we begin to achieve what we set out to do? One of the things that uh, I've said from time to time is the battle is fun and a little blood doesn't hurt anyone, even if it is my own. And so if it's worth the fight, if it's worth the battle, let's go get it done. Be creative, be persistent, be indefatigable and reach the goal. You know, there have been a lot of projects that I've been involved in over the years that no one else had tried or had backed away from. And fortunately, I just went in and with that kind of an attitude and a little bit of skill and brains and was able to accomplish it. And that's that's what I want to do for my clients. I, I want to have that same attitude of let's get this done and be the guy who can take the risk for the owner or the management and get it done and then disappear and not have to interfere with the immediate culture. Steve Dust is the CEO and principal at Waterfront Corporate Services, LLC. You can reach him directly by email, sdust, that's S-D-U-S-T, at waterfrontcorporate.com. We spoke via Zoom on June 24th. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry is a supporter of the Iowa Business Report radio program and podcast. The Iowa Business Report airs weekly on dozens of radio stations across the state of Iowa, with the podcast posted right here every week, along with additional IBR extras. I'm Jeff Stein for the Iowa Business Report.